the boogie is back again. For the boogie, there is no beginning, there is no end. Ha! Come on, come on. Feel a funk, y'all. Get up. FM, thanks for listening and uh, listening to the E-Man Boogie from the Jimmy Caster Bunch featuring the Everything Man. I think that's the E-Man. And uh, earlier we heard his Bertha Butt Boogie. Remember, vote with your dollar. Send some over here.
we have the wind instruments made from metal with a front-blowing mouthpiece and sometimes having body valves to change their tones. We hear first a familiar call on the bugle. to the trumpet. Let's go to a royal party at the palace. Come to the party, come to the party, come to the... Oh!
That is the sound of the first invented musical instrument. And it happened a long, long time ago. How long ago? I'd say when mankind still lived in caves. Now when I first started to speak to you, I hope you noticed how carefully I said invented, because the human voice is also a musical instrument. The sounds we first heard on this record were from the beating and slapping of our chests and thighs with our own hands. Drums of all sizes, covered with the skins of various animals. Finally, the grew to this, the snare drum, struck with two wooden sticks.
Watch a full-length movie. 
this song. I, I'm Mike's friend. My turn-ons are satin sheets. I love to be outdoors. Follow me on Twitter. Jokes to call. The French duh, not the duh, duh. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. Let's watch a full-length Hi, welcome to L-W-A-F-L-M-O-I-T. That stands for Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. How hey, are you, man? Mike. All right, ready to watch this film. Looking forward to a good episode because it's a good film. We are going to watch a good film this week. We are streaming right now, as we always do, every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on San Francisco's own Mutiny Radio. What is Mutiny Radio? It's an internet radio station. You can find it at mutinyradio.fm. You can hit it and you can stream it. We have full afternoon uh, Sunday shows. We're just part of it, so make it an afternoon. But check it out. Listen to us first on Mutiny Radio. Listen to us next on our podcast, which uh, posts every Sunday night, Sunday afternoon. Uh, you have to find it by our acronym, L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Go ahead and subscribe. You'll hear the, the podcast. We're going to watch a full-length movie on YouTube with the sound off, and you're going to listen, watch the movie and listen to our podcast at the same time. So you're going to have to find the YouTube. If you want to just not deal with it, check out our YouTube channel. Subscribe to L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Carl is the producer of this show. You heard his fantastic theme song. He has researched this movie we're going to watch. He has also synced this movie and posted it on YouTube. And very shortly, Carl, we'll be hearing an interview you had with a celebrity comedian who will talk Correct. about their celebrity and their comedianness, and then give us a countdown to this movie. I'm really anxious. A good movie this week? Carl, what is this movie? This week, we will watch The Incredible Shrinking Woman. Don't, don't put in man. The Incredible Shrinking Woman, 1981. And the channel we like is Kenny Love Music Movie. Not Jimmy Eat World, Kenny Love Music Movie. That's the most inspirational uh, YouTube channel I've heard. So Kenny loves mo moves, music movies. Fuck you, books. Kenny doesn't like them. No, no, Magazines, no. Uh, book, it, it, movie is quicker. Goes yeah. right in. You know? Uh -huh. Video uh, game, too much for Kenny. So go ahead and find. The Incredible Shrinking Woman. The Incredible Shrinking Woman. 1981. You Kenny Love Music Movie. You're going to find Kenny's link. Here's what we need you to do. We want you to enjoy the following interview coming up. And during the interview, we want you to hit, find the link, hit play, hit pause. Whoa, no, even worse. That, 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 two ads. Yes. So two ads will play. One, you're just going to have to watch. The other one, you can skip at five. And one said, no, actually, I just got one ad today. Good for me, right? Lucky me. Yeah, I got one ad. After that ad plays, hit pause, move your timer to zero, zero, zero. And then while you're listening to the interview, the celebrity comedian, when they're done, they're going to give you the celebrity comedian countdown. And when they say go, we go. So, Carl, take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Celebrity Comedian Countdown, this time with Chris Carfaro. Welcome. Hey, Carl. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Now, we know each other out there on the comedy scene. Most of the time, it's open mics, less than shows. And I think you're very new to comedy. Maybe there was a pre-pandemic time, but, uh, you know, in the 
in the context of things, right, it's pretty new. Tell, tell me why you got into comedy, how you got into comedy, and how long are we talking about here? Sure. So uh, before the pandemic, I had one of my friends who thought he was funny come at me and say, hey, I'm doing an open mic. I know you love comedy. Uh, why don't you come out and uh, try it out? So me and him, we went to the, uh, the original stand in New York City. Ah, uh-huh, the original first one, yeah. open mic. Yeah, um, that dirty, dingy basement. Yeah. I was like, we've made it. This is how comedy <laughs> should be. And I told a story uh, about my dad, something I've told to all my friends, family, hundreds of times, you know. So I already knew that it was going to be a decent story to tell. And we got some laughs. But for us, we were like, first time we got laughs. Comedy's easy. Like, it's done. <laughs> it then really is. Went, yeah. Then we went back the second week, tried actual material, and just played to crickets. <laughs> so mm. I took a little bit of time off after that. And I had to check the ego a little bit. But then... Um, was that I'd Laughing say, Buddha? What's that? Was that Laughing Buddha? So, yeah, it was uh, early on in the Laughing Buddha. I don't think they had a formal uh, agreement yet with the stand. But now, if you go to the stand, it's all Laughing Buddha shows right. as far as the open mic. Um, which I like those people. They're nice. Um they let you on, and they, they give you some good encouragement. Those are always good mics to do. Um, but then I took a little time off, and then I really because missed it. Because of the it, pandemic? So. Because of the pandemic? or So that was in 2017. So I took about till uh, early 2019 to get uh-huh. back into it. I really needed some time to let that ego cool off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So then I went real hard um, on comedy, going all the open mics, uh, I actually saw you for the first time. We didn't uh, meet then, but I saw you at uh, Scotty's Comedy uh, Cove. Yeah. And I saw you do the first mic flip. And I was like, oh, comedy's more than just telling stories. This is nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I hit up the scene a little bit, did a couple showcases in the city, uh, actually got uh, the industry room at um, Broadway Comedy Club. I won that competition. So I had a little bit of a residency. And then right at the turn of that, pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm a scientist, uh, former scientist, I guess you could call it at this point. Well, you're Um, between jobs, right? Right, right. I'm taking a little bit of a hiatus. (laughs) You're educated. You are a scientist. Right. So literally, right, we hit the pandemic. I think comedy's dead. So I'm like... I might as well just double down on science because hopefully this is the only pandemic I'll ever see in my entire lifetime. Mm. I think it would be pretty good to get that on a resume. <laughs> so I did that. And did then, you do any um, Zoom shows during the pandemic? No, I literally just said, Chris, if you're going to do something, you have to do it all the way. Um, it looks like that's going to be science. You know, I didn't really have a lot of connections at the time in comedy. So I didn't know who I could ask where they were doing Zoom shows, you know, uh, where the uh, outdoor shows were. So right. I, I literally just said, it's time for you to be a scientist, time to help out the community. And then I was like, I'm just having fun. <laughs> I need to get back into comedy. Now, you do a lot of jokes about growing up rural, right? Growing oh, yeah. up country. Tell me about that. Where did you grow up? How did this influence your comedy? And uh, what's the contrast now uh, I mean, we're, this isn't ur- an urban setting, but still, <laughs> yeah. you know, tell us about the difference. 
Of course. So uh, I grew up in Long Valley, New Jersey, which uh, if anyone doesn't know where that is, it's in Morris County, right up against the Pennsylvania border. Um, and I grew up right across from a horse farm. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty rural. Uh, I had like a quarter mile long driveway. Uh, so it's definitely different. I live in Hoboken right now. Yeah. And uh, just the the sounds at night, I'm used to, you know, hearing like raccoons and, and deer and bear sure. and those things are what put me to sleep you know when i hear a siren i'm like all right what are we doing here <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's yeah. got to be an emergency exactly but i feel like that has definitely uh influenced my comedy at least uh up until this far uh, i mean the great juxtaposition between where i grew up and where i uh, am living now plus i also went to school in the bronx at fordham university there's just so much that an outside observer who's never experienced any of this, mm-hmm. like you can just take in. I've never experienced Ubers until, you know, mm-hmm. probably three years ago. Mm-hmm. So that whole experience is one thing that's still kind of blowing my mind. I don't understand how you could have a stranger just pick you up in a car. Now, from in Long Valley, still within 50 minutes, you're in the city. Right. I mean, and Morristown, that's, you know, I mean, you weren't so removed, right? right. Is it really so secluded? So it's pretty crazy because I would say up until college, um, maybe a little bit in high school, I thought Morristown was the big city. Uh-huh. You know, we pl- I played football in uh, high school. We played Morristown every single year. And when uh-huh. we would go there, we were like, all right, are we going to have police escorts or something. It's pretty dangerous out there. Yeah, it's dangerous in Morristown. Yeah, later on, I met someone from the Morristown football team, and uh, we actually had a cow walk across our football field right before a state championship, or not state championship, Mm -hmm. state playoff game when we were playing Morristown. And they were like, we'd never seen anything like that. We were just waiting for a bear to come eat the cow. (laughs) So it wasn't just me. I always felt like it was just me projecting, but it's other people. It's Yes. it's a whole new world. Okay, now I want to get to this movie podcast. You have a huge movie podcast. What's the name of it? Well, it's called The Huge Movie Podcast <laughs> because it's all encompassing, right? So it's me, um, my friend from home, Connor Garrigan, uh, John Gallagher, a new friend, and Jack mm-hmm. Mayberry, our producer. What we're doing every week is we've taken the IMDb Top 100 Movies of All Time list, and we've put that into a giant bracket, right? So we use the seating from that to make our matchups, um, and every single week we take one matchup, we argue about which movie should be moving on, which one's best, we argue why that is, and uh, overall we're hoping to see what the actual greatest movie of all time is, Uh in our opinions. Gotcha. Um, We've had a very, very big disagreement with IMDb. Uh We hate Citizen Kane, as I told you before. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the most overrated movies there is. And if everyone disagrees, come listen to the podcast, come comment, and I'll fight you on it. Yeah, Rosebud, not uh, the most uh, revealing ending. Uh, I don't know. Like we were talking in person, you know, it was... um, it was it was shocking to people at the time, and that m- made it very popular. And now it's gotten to the point. You're right; it's overrated. At least yeah. in my opinion, I'm with you guys there. 
A hundred percent. And, you know, it's not to say that at the time these movies weren't good or on the cutting edge, but as one of the main theme themes we've been talking about, because we're still in the lower ranked movies, those yeah. tend to be the older movies that have fallen out of favor with people. We've noticed that the technology for when these old movies came out were cutting edge at the time, right? Yeah. They've influenced a bunch of different movies. However, the movies that are being produced right now have taken what they've done, expanded upon it, and it's like anything. The old's going to come out and the new's going to replace it. Yes. Not saying that those weren't great movies at the time, but there's better stuff now because of those old movies. Yeah. So you can still have an appreciation. Time. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, Chris Cafiro, how can people find you out there on the internet, on social media? Do you have a website? Do you have YouTube? Uh, is Instagram your haunt? H how can people f find you and find out what you're up to? So biggest two things, uh, Instagram and YouTube, uh, both of those are at Chris Carfaro. Um, in Instagram and YouTube are both where you'll find the uh, podcast as well. Uh, the huge movie podcast again. Uh, I'm on Twitch at uh, Topher Carf. So it's the end of Christopher and the first four <laughs> letters of Carf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that, that's people, basically it. So people who are listening to the audio version know the last spelling of your last name. It's like car, then far, then an O. Car, yeah, car, far, oh. But it's <laughs> very nice. But it's Car Pharaoh. It's Car Pharaoh. Yes. Okay. Now, Chris, Chris Carfaro, everyone at home is poised to watch this film, same time we do here in the studio. So everyone at home has got to press play on their device at the exact same time as we do here in the studio. So why don't you go ahead, Chris Carfaro, and give us that celebrity comedian countdown. All right, I've been waiting for this. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. Thank you, Celebrity Comedian Countdown, for your Celebrity Comedian Countdown. Very interesting. I can't wait to listen to it later. Right, we're starting off with Universal, the old school intro. Yeah, this is a Universal movie. It really appeals to all audiences. Universally. <laughs> oh, there's no CC on this. Uh, Kenny, come on, we need closed captioning. Oh, is that good? Or is that well, many Tom Lily Tomlin, it says for you, Charles Grodin. Oh, it's star packed. It's, it's it is star packed. Ned, Ned Beatty. Beatty. Listen, you can't have Charles Grodin without Ned Beatty. Good point. I love the graphics. Talk about 1981. Yeah, it's like your calculator's graphic. Your pocket calculator. See how they what? zoomed in? Says so the cast is full blast. Mark Blankfield. Who's Mark Blankfield? He, we saw him as the star in The Jerk 2. That's right. He was the star. That's right. And he does his job in this film. I mean, he really does a good job. You know, he's very much a comedic actor. There's lots of um, Pratt Hall kind of things. No, so what this movie is trying to do is talk about how awful consumerism was in the 70s. How it, I mean, this is 81, it's released, but it was shot in the 70s. And so is this an actual commercial? So this guy's actually on the street as from a supermarket. Right. And he's trying to get people to try the product. And it's basically cheese whiz. Um, and of course, cheese whiz tastes gross. I think personally, myself, a lot of the more sodium, the better it tastes. Oh, I and agree with you on that. 
So that's the joke. People are going to try the product and blech. This whole movie is talking about the consumerism and it blames her shrinking on these chemicals, you know, from all the products. Based, suggested by the novel, The Shrinking Man. Right. Now, in 1957, there was a movie called The Incredible Shrinking Man. And they're trying to say that this movie is a parody of it. But it's not. It's just the title. It's just a parody of the title, you know. Yeah. Um, there was a book in 1956 called The Shrinking Man. And it was uh, authored. Let's see. Yeah, here it is. The guy's name is Richard Matheson. He hated this film. He thought it was terrible and unfunny. Oh, no. That poor guy. He must have seen the yeah. wrong movie. Yeah, he's a famous Twilight Zone science fiction writer. Richard Matheson. Look, look he, she, he just shoves she, he just shoves the crackers in her mouth. Lily Tomlin is just a consumer coming out of the grocery, and she's been ambushed. Right. All on television, too. Let's see what he says. She's reading a book. That's how I do it. I have my four kids on the shopping cart while I push a novel. <laughs> now, her kids are the typical 70s kids. They are not well disciplined they're out of control because kids will be kids is the way we thought of it back then so oh, they right. cause chaos and trouble and also it's about the craziness of life with kids that accidents will happen and that's what's just about to happen this curious little girl uh the aerosol can back in the 70s that's instant death now, I, I guess yeah. that's a cleaning product or something. They're really struggling it with. Now, every movie has an inciting incident that kicks off our movie. Like you see the beginning of the hero's regular world, and then something happens that rips them away from that regular world. Well, God. this movie doesn't do a good job with the inciting incident. We really don't know what is making her shrink. When I saw the film as a kid, and that's why I suggested it. I did this, too. So I thought she fell into a vat of chemicals and it, it affected her. But no, that was actually the ending. And I will get to that. So. Oh, man, okay. look at those melons. <laughs> it's more of the craziness of suburban life. and. I'm, I'm, one thing I should mention up front during the opening credits, this is written by Jane Wegman and directed by yes. Joel Shoemaker. And and right. I think with Lily Tallinn and uh, Charles Grodin, I only saw this movie in 1981. But yeah, yeah it stuck with me. This film I really liked it too. I really yeah. did. And I, I don't know if I liked it, but it stuck with me too. It's it does a, a trick, and again, like I'm watching. I can't say I'm rewatching it if it's been 42 years, but yeah, right. You can't. Yeah. I know. But it's like what I remember as a kid was that it was entertaining, but it had a real message about like just like a really strong feminist message in this because she literally is neglected in this movie, and uh, she's like wow. just an item. She's an object in her little dollhouse, literally in this film, and the husband ignores her and. She's trying to be heard. And no. I just remember. No, that's not the movie no. I saw 41 years ago. No, she is a 
major character in this film who is not overlooked at all. She is the husband, loved by the husband. Really? Okay. All right. Absolutely. But don't you think it's a metaphor of being trapped in a dollhouse and being small in a room whose voice is small? I think it could be a metaphor. If this movie, movie had a small woman who was ignored, she is large and in charge in this film. Now, are we seeing two Lilies? We are. We're seeing two Lily Toms. She'll play four people in this, four characters, and two of them are made famous from um, from from Latin, which was her start, really. Let's now, see. she was in, most recently in a movie called 80 for Brady, but this movie, right. she's like 40 for Brady, right? Because it's 42 years ago? Yeah, I suppose, yes. Yeah. She probably is in her early 40s here. Now, the woman who... She's sitting across from herself. Now, this neighbor is named Judith Beasley, and she was a character really from Tom Lily Tomlin's live comedy shows, uh, more than Laugh-In. We'll see that telephone operator. Oh, one ringy-dingy? But it's like a cameo kind of thing. Luann, I think. No, Luann was the uh, child she did. Let's see. Ernestine, a telephone operator, and Edith Ann was a little girl who would sit in the big chair. She'd pretend to be a little girl, and that was on Laughing. That didn't make it into this film, but it did make it into the TV version of this film. Oh, how cool is that? For no other reason, because they have the footage. It's like, here, I'm going to leave these products with you. She goes, I have no room in my house for these products. She goes, no problem. <laughs> they stick to the wall. We're products. <laughs> That'll be throughout the film. It's sort of like an Avon lady kind of takeoff. Consumerism just trying to sell right, to all to of house, the birds. Literally, literally in your own home. And the husband, of course, has a job doing advertising for products. Gotcha. Now we're having a funny bit, and they're doing the crazy music of got to put all the groceries away. This is uh, me and my house. It says I don't put them away. I just eat them. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we're, well, where's the Pop-Tart? Oh, never mind. Now, we don't have bags anymore at the store. Do you guys still have that in L.A.? Yeah. I mean, you California has a law. This takes place in California. Again, when we saw this, we were in New Jersey. And I always had a idealized fantasy of what California was like because of films like this. But as mm -hmm. it stands today, you can get a bag. You just pay a dime. Oh, okay. Is it a plastic bag or a reusable? It really, it really depends on the on the store, but it's usually a plastic or paper bag. And like at Trader Joe's, I'll get a double paper bag, or I could buy like the little reusable Trader Joe's bag, say. But if I do the double bag, that's twenty cents. But it's you know what? When that law passed like ten years ago. Right. It was fine. I just need the fucking bags. I'll right. pay the extra 10 cents. I reuse the bags. Yeah. Anyway, so now here comes Charles Grodin after his business trip and he like did really well and they gave him an hour long presentation. They gave him a standing ovation. Now look, that's love. That is love. <clears throat> Not an ignored woman. And it's all going to be about them tonight. Great. Oh, with the kids too? The kids are not well, happy. Kids dad. Like, Daddy's home, and they're like, "Hi, Dad!" And he goes, "All right, I guess the presents will wait." And they go, "Presents!" And they run. The good, good. Uh, that's good airport presents, right there. Yeah, right. Welcome right. to Seattle. They I make got, that joke, Mike. Oh, they do. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's a dead ringer. But you have to expect it, right? Mm-hmm. And for the lady... <laughs> now joel shoemaker and well you know i don't know if you remember lily tomlin had a woman one woman show called in search of intelligent life in the universe yes it, yes and that was one of her first big things that made her a famous comedian that's written by jane wegman who wrote the screenplay well that she would jane uh wagner is her wagner. wife in yeah. real life for decades. They met, let's see, they met so long ago. Um, she made a writing debut, CBS Afternoon Special, JT, in 1969. She won a Peabody Award for that. And that drew the attention of Tomlin, who was looking for someone to help develop the laugh-in character, Edith Ann. So that's okay, it was the beginning of a collaboration. They fell in love, and, and they're, they're together today. Back when she was 20 for Brady. What? Uh, yes, <laughs> that's right. Uh, she wrote and directed Moment by Moment, starring Tomlin and John Travolta. She wrote this. Oh, yes. uh, well, it's a long list of things. They're not all collaborations with uh, Lily Tomlin, yeah. but most of them are. And most I think she's very comfortable with that. I saw a really good movie with Lily Tomlin called Grandma. It came out maybe eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that was really good. And that starred the woman who would go on to be in Ozarks and yeah, get the... very successful. She wasn't at the time, but she really did a good job. She really played the um, meek, uh, you know, she was a girl in trouble. And yeah. Grandma was helping. Grandma was helping. Yeah, that's okay, true. Now, he's going through names for perfumes. How about intense? How about the thing? And, and Lily Tomlin goes, how about sex pot? And the next thing you know, he's in the office going, sex pot. Sex pot? <laughs> it's bold. I like it. It's direct and to the point. It's, it's hardcore marketing. I love now, it. This is a little sick because they want to overhear their parents having sex. But when their parents really do start to have sex, they leave, which is the proper thing to do as a little pig kid. Now, remember I told you about the inciting incident. What right. is making her shrink? We really don't get to see it except for in this scene, there's like a hint. See, they're going to do it now and the kids just recognize that and walk away. Oh, good. Panning over to what might be the inciting incident. What else could it be? So does he shrink in this scene? I could explain how he had a long trip. That's the thing I was thinking. If this is the inciting incident, then why why isn't he shrinking? Oh, all the chemicals from the yeah. neighbor. I guess from the neighbor. Is it from the neighbor? I, I there, That was on a box on the shelf. Right. So here he is in the office going, sex pot. Look at that baby's hair. God bless him. I think of sex and dope. I think it says it all. <laughs> I think of sex and dope. Sex pot. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's a shame, you know, we always say, like, if you want to see this movie, it's on YouTube. So, you know, yes. we're going to talk over it. It's our podcast. But well, yeah, I recommend that you see this film. Now, look, this isn't the greatest film in the world, but you are going to laugh and you are going to enjoy it. And everyone's charismatic in it, but it's not the greatest film ever. And it's not just drop dead hilarious. 
Um, are you, are so, you a fan of the director? Are you aware of the director? Well, the, this director is a big deal. Uh, and this is his premiere as a director. This is his first film directing. Knocks he it out. was really a costume designer, a production designer, and he was an author. He wrote Car Wash and he wrote The Wiz. As uh, yeah, the screenplay. Joel Schumacher. Yeah, yeah. He wrote the screenplay. Now he did DC Cab, St. Elmo's Fire. You know this guy. Of course. Uh, the Lost Flat Boys. Flatliners. Yes. Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. He's out there. Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Tell me, but, tell me, you look at the list. Tell me his last films because he did one where. Um, didn't... 2011, he did Trespass. 2011, he did Man in the Mirror. 2010, he did 12. Huh. 2009, he did Blood Creek. 2007, he did the number 23. That's the Jim Carrey movie. 2004, Phantom of the Opera. Huh. Okay, I but check this out, that. Mike. The original director of this film was John Landis, who walked away from the production and walked right into American Werewolf in London. So he walked out of this and into tremendous success. He didn't like the budget. The budget was going to be $30 million, and then they cut it to 11 And he goes, what? Fuck this shit. And then it was 13 But in the end, it was $20 million because of all the shrinking stuff. So John Landis, this was going to be his film, and what? he walked away from it. And it, and it launched um, Joel Shoemaker. You know, I, I'm going to plug a friend of mine, uh, David Gebro, who is a fantastic uh, guy, and he has a music podcast called Discography. So think of the word disco and the graffiti, discography, graffiti, discography, okay. and um, that's how it's spelled. He has a six-part interview with John Landis, who he's he's been a six colleague. Of his. He's known John Landis for like 20 years. Yeah, and right now the first one came out, and he talks about being in Europe, his big break, and doing Slock, his first movie. So I'm going to listen and see what he has to say about Incredible Shrinking Woman. Yeah, he might. Yeah. Okay, now one of the products they sell is Galaxy Glue. And so it was a blessing that the vase got broke because he could try the product that they're selling. But what's going to happen is Galaxy Glue is going to get on everything. There's going to be a big chaos suburban crisis lifestyle with um, the Galaxy Glue getting everybody stuck. Now, you, you definitely say like suburban lifestyle and everybody because the whole neighborhood is here. Right. Now, this is where it starts. The Galaxy Glue is on her fingers. And now it's, I mean, the stuff is so good. Everybody who touches anybody who's got Galaxy Glue is stuck. He's wearing a Hulk Dracula costume. Yeah. It's more of the... Monster I don't know. Monster. When my kids were, I, I mean, I'm not a strict disciplinarian or something, but when my kids were raised, like it was, there was order. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a scene like this would never happen. Like, <clears throat> right. No, it was just wearing their Halloween costumes around the house would not, that's eh, not really true. I guess. That's not true. They do it ever. They, she has three kids, right? Oh, pop, yeah, hang on, pop three kids, a, a, da um, a daughter and a son. Oh, two kids and a dog. Okay, so now, for the first time ever, we're going to get, like, some indication that something's wrong. The straps on her overalls are really loose. 
and the the bracelet she always wears is slipping off her. So it's the first indication yeah. that She's something shrinking. weird is going on. Nobody puts two and two together. Uh. She, he's yeah. like, are you losing weight? Well, that's a big fruit loose. Toy surprise. Yeah, look, he goes to kiss her, and she's shorter than he expected. So she kisses he kisses her like face instead of lips. Oh, so they do go to the doctor. Right. Lee Van Cleef. Right. Is and it? It's just like you're short, you weigh less, you're losing pounds, and nobody loses height. So that's a little concerning. It's a little weird. Now, look, I think this neighbor, you see how she's yeah. now walking through and she's short. I think this neighbor is too much like Lily Tomlin. It doesn't come off well. Everybody could see it's her twice. Is that your sister? You know? Right. Okay, so they have the dilemma of she isn't a shrinking person as much as she's losing. Like, they think she's losing height. But now she's starting to realize she's losing everything. Oh, yeah. Look at those. Man, I, I, it's so cheap. They need another ten million to build that. That's that props you. Well, the thing is, they were given eleven. They said we can't do the shrinky stuff with eleven. They said, "All right, have 13. But in the end, it was twenty because they had to do sets with incredibly large, comfy chairs and couches so that she could appear small. And it, you know, it's all practical effects, but it's done pr more commercialism. They just they just cut to a commercial. One thing I do remember as a kid watching this movie is that two-thirds into this film, they do like a blackout like they would normally do for a TV show before going into a commercial. And yeah. then it comes back to show where her life is then. Like she disappears and she's Passing dead. And like, time. Yeah, like there's like a fake blackout or something like uh, in this movie. And I remember that. And I remember like a half expecting to see a commercial follow it. Yes. <laughs> Now, you can see the x-rays there, you know, she's getting smaller, and they're going to, like, send her for tests. Now, Kleinman Institute. Now, Kleinman, apparently, in another language, it's probably German, means small. Um, oh, that's cute. Lena Kleine Nachtmusik, a little, na a little night music by Bozart. Thank you for telling me what that means. I had no idea. So it's their joke. Now it's like, we did... Uh, DNA tests and he's, he's listing all the tests and tests and tests and tests and tests and tests and they don't know what it is. So in the end, the, it's pretty funny. The, the guy's like, okay, what is it, doctor? And he goes, you're getting smaller. <laughs> we know that. He goes, from what? And he goes, well, it's a combination of, and then he lists every product now, he oh, okay. is a co-star on Laugh-In. Henry Gibson. Right. Oh, that's right. So it's a little Laugh-In reunion. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the woman, we see her every now and again. Uh, she, uh, she's also, she was in 9 to 5 as the, I don't know. She doesn't really jump out at me. That's why I'm hesitating here because I have her name. But here it is, Dr. Ruth Ruth. She started in the first thing I recognized was the Happy Hooker, but she was in Nine to Five and okay, 
Haven't seen Happy Joker in a while. She was an actress for 70 years. I'm I'm not doing her justice talking her up here. Oh, turn it up, because... Perfume, the glue, the solvent, your bubble bath, talcum powder, shampoo, hair conditioner, setting... This is why she's shrinking. Mouthwash, hairspray, breath spray, feminine hygiene spray, deodorant, toothpaste, detergent, eye drops, nose drops, hair coloring, diet soda, birth control pills, and smog set off by violence already present in your system. <laughs> they don't know what it is. I love that it's also like California, you got to throw the smog in. Do you, you recognize her face? You see, she's just sort of unrecognizable. She's a very yeah. bland looking. I don't, I have to rewatch those films. It's just, a, a, but I'll keep an eye out. I she haven't was seen. Regarding Henry, The Adams sure. Family. She was in Quiz Show. Oh, I remember her in Adams Family, right? She probably was like, hello, I have a normal request. And then the family <laughs> does something crazy and they cut to her reaction. Yeah, she was. Yeah. Abigail Craven and Dr. Pinder Schloss in the Adams family. It's very forgettable. She was uh, Sarah Roosevelt in Hyde Park on Hudson with Bill Murray. Oh, uh, God. That's the one where he's like uh, FDR and he has yes. sex. And he's, she's all over TV, all in the family murder she wrote, Law and Order Criminal Intent in 2002. She, she's uh, enough said about her. Enough said. So now they're like, honey. She's like, we should talk about our marriage because this is affecting. And she goes, as long as you're wearing this ring, there's nothing different between us. And then the ring slips off. off. I remember that. He goes, let's go home. I also remember he was sexually frustrated, right? Well, he's reading a book called Sex Without Mar Marriage Without Sex. And then one time he's talking to Ned Beatty and he's like, don't even ask about our sex life. And Ned Beatty was like, I was not going to. <laughs> but that's it. That's all we get. He isn't really, he doesn't show frustration, but for yeah. those two. Oh, no. Womp womp. I've told Joel Shoemaker, the director, he passed away, I believe. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Joel, I don't have, I don't have that information. I just focused on how this was his launch. Yeah. Um, no, it's a, good, it's a good one. And DC Cab is another comedy. Like he didn't really yeah. pursue comedy after that. Like his action films are funny, you know, and his stories are, have some humor to it. Right. Definitely Batman, his two Batman and Robin movies were definitely like meant to be funny. Yeah, that's this is why Superman works alone. Right. Shoemaker described himself as extremely promiscuous, saying in a 2019 interview that he became sexually active at age 11, estimating he had sex with between 10,000 to 20,000 men over the course of his life. Now, how can you say 10,000 to 20,000? That's a full 10,000 men. I might slept with but i guess he's, he's just trying to say i was promiscuous yeah well i mean maybe he stopped, lost count he clearly now shoemaker said the first person he knew who died from the aids epidemic in 1983 was not promiscuous leading schumacher to believe he would die soon huh Oh yeah, it must see. be quadrupled my chances, and I was planning my death. Although he never contracted the disease. Carl, I just want to mention one of the great joys of watching movies is when they go to supermarkets because you get to see <laughs> what was on the shelves in that time period. So you saw the smoke meat sign in the back. Yes, 
you know, and like you have the sodas by the produce because it's sunkissed orange. You put the orange soda by the because it's like a fruit. Yeah, now, this this um big um this big grocery cart she's in the prop yeah. later in the Jackass movie that is. They oh, no use shit. this prop. This is the, yeah, and you know, Jackass was a billion years later, right? And well, that uh, shopping cart stun is one of their like iconic scenes, I guess. Like you, you, um, you two thousand, yeah, the large shopping cart prop from the grocery store scene was re later reused in Jackass the movie two thousand two. Geez, so this is like eighty one. So you're talking thirty one years. Yeah, that thing stayed alive. Okay, now. Lily Tomlin has had enough because everyone's gawking. So she says to the other Lily Tomlin, take me out of here and sneak me out. Oh, no, but so, Mel Blanks is not going Mr. Whipple from Charmin. There is nothing in this site Let's hear. of any concern to you. Oh, excuse me, Mrs. Kramer. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me just talk about him because he'll never show up again, okay? Sure. We know, please don't squeeze the Charmin, and that was why this guy's famous. And you would think that that was it, but no, man, check this out. This guy was in, I'm talking, it started in 1958. In Wagon Train, he was the bartender. He was in The Texan. He was in The Untouchables. He was in The Rifleman. He was in The Virginian, Perry Mason, Ben Casey, Twilight Zone. It goes on forever. But what's really funny is the characters he plays. Um... Uh, he was in Gomer Pyle as clerk number three. He was in Petticoat Junction as airline clerk. <coughs> Let me find some. Oh, here he is. He was yeah. in Bewitched as man in bar. He was in a million things. He has so many credits in which his credit is drunk. He was in... He was in Bewitched as Drunk. Drunk. He was in Alice 1979 TV show as Drunk. Oh, do you think he was drunk in the diner? Mel would have 86, the guy. Yup, he would have. You, maybe that's how the scene went down. Uh, he was in Gidget. He was in the Munsters as Al. He was in McHale's Navy as Dino. He was in That Girl as Clerk. He was in The Flying Nun as Joe. I mean, it's just funny. So anyway, he he would finally make it. As please don't squeeze the Charmin lady. And that went on for decades. That did? Well, yes. Uh, that went on from 65 through 89. That's a long-ass run. Then That's he came back for one year in 1999 to 2000. He got cast again as Mr. Whipple. But do you notice, like, those bears, that bear family ate them? Did, you, did I ever tell you that story? The no. reason why you see, like, toilet paper now is, like, bears. Charmin, right? Charmin, yeah. the bears ate him. The bears ate Mr. Whipple. They mauled his ass. <laughs> they squeezed him. Now, what we're seeing here is her life is changing because she's super small, and the 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 help Concepcion is the one who's like becoming the mom. The mom. And it's, like, it's a big downer. So, in typical. 1970s fashion this was shot in february of 79 they are there were only three networks back then and so if there was a little bit of news everyone would descend look how she has a smartphone I, wait a minute whoa yeah yeah 
She has got an iPhone. Oh no, she's one of those time travelers with a cell phone that pop up in pictures and, and videos. So the yup, because that's a real thing. So the TV is blowing up with her, and she's on the cover of People and Time and Life. It's unrealistic. They're it's using unreal. real titles in this parody movie. Like they're not saying it's. They Lord. always did that. No, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they'll fake it. Like a fake magazine. Yeah, they'll have a different name. You, it's implied that it's life. I don't know if you okay, saw now, They yeah. just turned on the garbage disposal. Right. And that we're supposed to remember that because there'll be a later scene. Okay. Now she's going to spill some dishes, right? And Charles Grodin has this funny story. His mom and his wife were upset with him that he does not help Lily Tomlin with the dishes. Let me see. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, his mother and some of his friends were upset with him because his character didn't help his partially <laughs> shrunken wife when she dropped the stack of dishes, but only shook his head. Groton tried to explain that the mother, to his mother that Lily Tomlin handling a stack of oversized dishes in that scene, if he tried to help her, they would have seen that he wasn't, she wasn't tiny. And the reaction shots were done separately. Oh, and the yeah. mother just didn't understand the explanation. He tried to tell her three times. So he's, she goes, oh, forget it. And she just... <laughs> yeah, because this is what? A few years after Star Wars, people are still not understand special effects. Boom! Oh, uh, go help it. him, her Charles. Okay, this guy, I know his face from Scrooged. He was oh, I never the saw Scrooge. How about that? What's I mean, that? I never saw Scrooge. Oh, okay. Yeah. Stop what you're doing. Uh, let's pause the podcast. Okay, and the go podcast. watch Scrooge and then come back All because right. you have to see it. Carl, I'm back. Okay. How uh, did you enjoy? Yes, and may I be the <laughs> first? Bill Murray, right? May I be the first to wish you a Merry Christmas? Oh, well, thank yeah, you, Scrooge. I haven't seen it because it's a Merry Christmas movie. That's all. Oh, Mike Douglas. Oh. Yeah, we're going to see Mike Douglas. We're going to hear him sing a song now. <laughs> <laughs> he was a staple, man. Like, uh, this is a big, big thing for him. And he's been in other movies as himself, too. Yes, he had a huge show. It was around the time of Dinah Shore. It was pre-Oprah days. Um, pre, I get whatever, like Carrie Underwood. It was an afternoon show, pre-Ellen. Yes. Well, pre-Ellen is, of course, but I'm saying it was... Pre-9-11. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you might know that guy, not from Scrooge then, but he was in Gremlins 2, The New Batch. He was, sure. he was in Superman on Smallville. You probably don't. I've seen him in Gremlins. He was an advertising spokesperson in RoboCop 2. He was a mobster in Payback. Seen, I've seen all those movies. Oh, he's singing right now. Hang on, let's hear Douglas. Oh. Well, Ned Beatty's saying she can't go out there and indict the products of America. She's going to ruin our businesses. Oh, right. And Gordon has a stake because it's his wife. Right, so Gruden's like, can't we at least have a thing that this might be harmful to your size on the, you know. But Lily Tomlin won't. M Mike Douglas will ask her straight out, what is making you shrink? This is what I want to know. This is what the world wants to know. And she just goes, it's undetermined right now. And Ned Beatty breathes a sigh of relief. But Henry Gibson says it's all those products. 
what he does, but the truth is he was also, he didn't know what kind of bullshit exploit, plus a condition you already had. Yeah, right. You know. Okay, so there's the weather. I guess Mike Douglas, is this his national show or is this a special show? or No, local? it's his regular talk show. See, Lily Tomlin, too, the neighbor, was like, go ahead, listen to his art. His they want hope. This is what America wants, not an indictment of danger. And you want to give them what they want, don't you? Hmm? Yeah. Don't you? Well, well, He's also like in, in network, he gives a similar spiel. Remember, he was the one who tells uh, Howard Lamb that you, the countries don't matter, money matters. Yeah, that was his big speech. Big that speech. was a huge movie. Yep, and that was a big speech. So it's funny to see him kind of do the same character, but more comedically. Yeah, his white suits. Well, they were always color coordinated. Whatever yeah. the color was, his three pieces would be that. He's not the only one wearing a three piece suit in this movie. Grodin casually wears one. And so does Ned Beatty. Yeah. I guess this was when it was. I mean, three piece suits had always been around, I guess, since the 20s, but they got a resurgence in the 70s we watched a bunch of movies uh in the 80s where people casually like if you watch tv shows like character actors will just have a Jefferson. yeah but i don't think i've ever seen anyone wear it it's not that yeah, i don't this like is it. the kind of thing that cost a bunch of money to make a giant set and she has Land a huge out. box i'm out yeah i mean this is all pre-cgi and pre-9-11 <laughs> you can't, you can't pre say pre without much. this is this is pre the 2020 this just, is pre my I'm, son i'm just saying like I, I can't say pre anymore without saying 9-11 <laughs> my dad walked the earth at this time pre 9-11 pre 9-11 so right Pre practical effects and they did it by splitting the you know, you you never see his hand go behind her. They right. split, there's your fan club. It's so funny that they they spend all this time and money and special effects on a scene where she's on TV talking to Mike Douglas. Like there, there's some humor in that, like the emptiness of it. Like you know, where else do you state your case but on Mike Douglas? Well, that was the you know with only three networks and no internet and this is how people got disseminated information and news so that present it was just i never realized the pre i've seen this a bunch of times and the present was just for a step stool it wasn't a yeah real right she brought it, it, she turn, it up. turn it up turn it up it's cutting to commercial oh she goes finally she made this joke finally i'm getting heard now that i'm shrinking and i can tell my story and he goes we'll be right back after and then the they got the galaxy glue commercial but i wanted you to turn it up because it's going to be the point of what's making you shrink you know everyone has one question in mind and i have that same question in my mind right now why are you shrinking
Oh, man, look at this. Every not word. Uh, go ahead. I guess everyone else is dressed preppy. It hasn't been determined yet, Mike. Right on. Okay, <laughs> this group here that you're seeing, it's the... This group is called the... Uh, the group of like for world management, and they're like an evil organization headed by um, Henry Gibson. Gibson. And their plan is to get a sample of her blood to make a serum in which they could shrink everybody in the world, sealing them their power. Great, and this is the, the classic world management. And this is a really good movie trick, which is that they change the narrative from her to outside forces. Like, the story is bigger than her. Yeah, they're the bad guys, and that's right. They're going to try all sorts of things to kidnap her, essentially. Yeah. And they'll and be successful in the end. Go ahead and listen to his plot. For time and space, I know it's supposed to for shape and size. My study show that a serum could be developed. Uh huh. Blood. What's her name? Pam. Pat. Pat Kramer. Yes. yes. It's funny how Ned Baby got it wrong. It's the you know his worker's wife. Her doctor doesn't even remember. Yeah. Or entire. And using a process not unlike water fluoridation, a few drops. You recognize her from nine to five. Be no. Effective for shrinking masses of people. Except, of course, for a few of us. Shrink the world. Hey, I like it. Yeah. All right. And more. In our hands. Well, I. I feel I would need a show. I'll keep it going. Yeah. You have to count me out. Not so fast, Dan. We can't count you out. You know too much. Oh. And listen to what he says. Much, but I think, fortunately, you know, we're always here. See, I don't really understand everything it is, but I know. Now, that's what really counts. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I really don't understand half the time what you guys are talking about. So, do I really know too much? Now, do you have some ideas about how we should approach her? Oh, I've got ideas. Old Tan's got a plan A, sure. I, wasn't he in the, the toy? Like, I'm half expecting him to say, oh, oh yeah, he was in the toy, Ned Beatty. Yeah, he kind was of like, Jackie Gleason's, like, right-hand man. Yeah, and he did the and same was, thing. Oh, yeah. Well, no, if he wants if he wants him, then yeah, that's, that's the boy wants him. Now, last episode, I was complaining about how Dan Aykroyd is always the same guy. Ned Beatty really shares that, you know, he doesn't stretch. He doesn't He's stretch. always the same inflections, the same tone. But in fairness to him, unlike D Dan Aykroyd, he's often playing the same, well, Dan Aykroyd too, but he's often playing the same type of character. Well, you know, like Network, he's playing it straight. He's playing it very serious. And a lot of his other films, right. he doesn't. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, a lot of times they say we need a dead baby, but they put him in a position that's challenging. Like the character himself does, has some nuance to it. Oh, yes, blasphemy! Santa was not there. Listen, Santa's a well, white guy, and he was not at the manger because he doesn't exist. 
that we I think we saw a film that proves that he exists, right? Are oh, you talking we, about Kirk Cameron's Kirk Cameron? Yeah, we did. So look, she can only wear doll stuff. So they're getting her superstar sissy house to live in and no, all clothes. Heartbroken. Uh oh, this is the moment we've been waiting for. So oh. that's all we see, and I really think they missed a comedic point there because they could have done a lot of stuff with her. Big long chase with the dog, dog. Yeah. but they didn't. So the dog has to go. Just it's not safe for her. Oh, how sad. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's more more commercials. Like, yeah, this is a suburban. Like she lives in her own little dollhouse. Now, this I don't think is very funny. She's making a recording of her memoirs, and then she presses play to hear it, and it's so loud, it rocks the... Oh. I don't think it's very believable, but you tell me if you think it's funny. Now she's going to press play. I love this giant machine. It looks fake to me, right? Uh oh. But it's not an emergency. Wait till Yes, the object. I don't know. I think there's a lot of politics. He's in this not movie. an object, Mike. What are you talking about? She, they're taking photographs of her like she's a thing. Oh my god. I don't know. I think there's a lot to this movie. I mean, that's I what I, I saw. Maybe There is uh, no feminism in this whole film. There is no feminism in this whole film. And there is no criminality against her that this movie was feminist. I mean, no. uh, what's the... Op what's the uh... Like, as a parent, you don't feel like you're ignored. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot to this film. I, I, Look, I, I'm she's gonna... getting little, and that's why she's getting... Okay, okay, all right. You don't think it's a metaphor or a simile? No. Okay. All right. It could be. Look, the metaphor of the robots controlling <laughs> human life. We're, we're getting too dependent upon these machines and they're going to destroy us. I like this. Oh, like the this. metaphor. Of, look, that's a real person. It's so clearly a real Yeah, person. right. It's a pretty cool props. That... Blew them up to Betsy Wetsy. <laughs> Gross. That blew them up to uh, twenty million dollars. Scenes like this. What's what do you put in a Betsy what's Betsy Wetsy? You just put water. Water, water. Well, I mean, if you're like hardcore and serious, you do put in pee. If you're trying to do this for real, whoa! Think about yeah. that flip she just did in the real world. Yeah, and I remember those puppets from Act One. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Jim Henson was not a part of this production. He, he did not approve of this. He, he thought it had nothing to do with the Credible Shrinking Man. Now, this is really funny because she gets drunk. And the plot here is Scrooge guy is trying to get her on a plane. And Ned Beatty's arranged it so yeah. that they can kidnap her. It's all so that she, watch this. <laughs> They'll do this joke again. <laughs> And she's really liking it as an actress in the real world. You could tell he did it again. And she's supposed to be pretending she's drunk, but 
I think she was having a good time with it in as an actress. You'll see the Pat Raymer doll. I have arranged for my private plane to fly you to our main design center. We want to start immediately. More champagne. What? Leave it up. You did it again. Look, he did it again. <laughs> what do you say? You get your little things together and we can leave right away. Tonight. Get your little things together. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I think tonight is a little soon. Maybe tomorrow would be more appropriate. Honey, I don't want to go tomorrow. Yet. She didn't mean what she just said. Really not. I certainly. All right, turn this off. So basically, they're saying, like, we want to take you and make a doll, and this way we'll make money and you can pay for your medical bills. And she's like, I don't want to be a product, right? I mean, right. that's as a consumer. Right. So I'm not going to be part of the problem. But you would now say that's a joke. She All gets right, it. Yeah. God, the letter's so big. Ah. Uh... Ah, ah. Uh, I'm short. Uh, uh, uh. You don't have to be short with me. What does that mean? Your seat downsizing? Don't be short. Right. I did see that. And the, the, the wife didn't get downsized and he was furious. And then she that divorced him and took all his money. So he was broke. Matt Damon plays a complete idiot in that film. He plays a really dumb guy. And it, that film made me realize how often Matt Damon has done that in movies. He's always he plays the dumb guy. What I noticed about his performance is how physical his character is. Like the way he walks is like, you know, it's not dumb, but it's definitely like different from, you know, like you <laughs> could have a sense of it. Yeah, I like him as an actor for that for that reason. And yeah. in that movie. Great movie. Good double feature, right? Yes. Uh, downsizing and the incredible shrinking woman. Uh, yeah, they kind of go together thematically, right? Right, yeah. Maybe you get, maybe that's your kink. Maybe you get off on that. Midget porn? Shrinking kink, I guess. Okay, now, he gave her a sort of Sexy romantic name. ball dress. Yeah, so she is going to be in her house, and she is going to get, like... See, she isn't sexed up. She doesn't get horny. She gets loved up. Like she, she like, <laughs> they're so drunk. In the 70s, you could do drunk driving jokes. Sure. You could hit multicolored neon cars like that. So she's got on her sexy nighty and she's going to the love of her life, Charles Grodin. And mm. you'll see it in her face. There's no horniness to her. There's loviness to her. Right. But he doesn't notice her. Not not because he's a man. It's just literally he doesn't see how small she is. And that's that's the the satire. That's the That's metaphor. right. She does not notice. He does not notice. As a matter of fact, he just moves his body and she gets flung off the bed and rolls back to her house. You don't think that's a metaphor for the housewife trapped in seventies suburban California? Yes, yes, I do think that. You've made me see the light now. See, okay, the husband, the selfish husband is laying I in bed. He can care less about his wife. She is an object for his no, pleasure to keep the, the house in order. <laughs> Look, Marriage Without Sex book. She's yeah. like, I'm going to change that shit right now. 
<laughs> right? Look at all the money they spent on huge pillows. And... How fun is that? And they kept it. That's what's crazy, right? Boing! Wow! If, if Jackass Jack used that uh, that prop, they must have <laughs> other props lying around. Yeah, they probably do have some. Like, where do you think it was? Like in a warehouse of some movie studio, they had. Yeah. The, let's Universal use this. Universal Studios. You know, it's funny you should mention that because in in Jackass Four, they did it. You know how they do like a. Point five movie supplement and it's usually the worst bit right. and everyone complaining how the stunts gave them PSTD and how everyone's the sadist so one of the scenes they had uh, like an outtake they were on the Paramount Studios where they shot Godfather 1 uh -huh. or 2 uh -huh. Godfather 2 like the, the scenes of Italy and they had one of the they sunk guy put sushi in his body and he's so and the sushi stayed there for a day or two Okay. And, just, and they all got sick and they all threw up on the set of Godfather 2. And that was a oh, joke huh. is that here's this pristine uh, classic movie and they're doing stupid shit on it. On the set. <laughs> now she, okay, this film was not well received and it did horrible at the box office. Like I told you, the budget was 20 million and they made $20,259,000. So they made $259,000 out of this film. Very disappointing for the these guys. No, this, this scene I definitely remember. She's getting way too small. Like it could be a metaphor for maybe if someone is sick and you're in a relationship, right? Yes, yes, I see it. This is a right. metaphor. I open your eyes. I open your eyes. Getting sick. Look at all the money they spent on. She still has to cook. She, every time, every time I watch this film, I'm thinking she could seriously burn her hand. Right. She could seriously, just trip and oop. Those things are the worst, anyway. Now, Concepcion is getting a little crazy. That's trying to say from the money. So he's like. Are you going to do it? Are you going to get on the plane and become the doll? And he's like, she's like, no, I really thought about it and I'm not going to do it. I don't want to be part of consumerism. You're talking about my job. Why don't you go ahead and listen? Okay. So now they're talking about the theme of the movie. Oh, the bacon's burnt. Yes. Now the practical effects are very good in this film, but in that last scene we saw, you could tell that the smoke was superimposed. It's kind of like, what can they do about it? Right. So no, I don't know. Now, it's a metaphor for she's completely ignored as a woman and she will end look at this and she will end up falling into the garbage disposal and they will turn on the garbage disposable as a metaphor for how disposable the <laughs> thank you thank you is and so it's like i'm sorry we're not doing it call me back if you change your mind but the scene that where she falls in the garbage disposal. Which is now. Right. 
but it look the movie acts up that she's dead and they do like this distended blackout. I mean, I do yep. remember that. She she they think she's dead. So it's now it's a kind of goodbye. And okay, so we called up and said we're not taking your doll author. So now they got to go to plan B and one of the Office for World Management people is going to come here to try to kidnap her. Well, I'll just let the movie play out. Okay. Oh, man. I love having a cigarette dangling off the counter like that. Yep. And it's burning. It could absolutely fall. And why is there a cigarette burning? Who smokes? She's only smoked. Mm, no. I don't see cons okay when the agent comes to kidnap they're going to be talking at the door and there is no one smoking but yet you'll see a whiff of smoke and the internet thinks oh it must have been one of the cast people but i right. think it was that cigarette i think they meant it to be that cigarette hanging off the counter maybe one of the cast of the crew members left it when they were building the sets you know <laughs> maybe but it was a huge <laughs> so oh yeah i guess so. right? it was like uh cheech and chong's dog poop joint yeah um it's maui wowie yeah my dog ate my shit i had to follow him everywhere now unfortunately for concepcion she is only a stereotype throughout this whole film now she had a very brief career it was not a big deal but she did have a career she yeah. was in Flatbush in 1970. The, the Lords of Flatbush. I remember that, that with Henry Winkler and uh, yeah. Sylvester Stallone. She was in Bad in 1977. She was in this film. And then she was like once in Kojak. And that's it. She went away. Uh, well, I mean, this is California's humor, I guess, in the 70s, too. Now, look, she turns on. But wait. She's got to escape. Right. So now, because the door, somebody's at the door. So now she's going to build a disgusting food garbage pyramid. Now watch, watch for the smoke. It'll be by his hand. Okay. All right, yeah, and he is smoking. Now the internet says, oh, clearly one of the cast, one of the behind the scenes people, but I don't think they would be smoking while they were shooting. It is an interesting note, but we only see one hand. Is he like trying to just knock on the doorbell and just sweet talk to her? Well, he knocked on the doorbell and said, flower delivery for, you know, uh, for Pat. And it was little flowers, you oh. know. So he's trying to flirt with the Concepcion to, I don't know, to get into the house and get. Crossy's free. He made it out. Yeah. What a clean sink. Because yeah. it's a prop. Look at I all am. the money they spent on this kind of stuff. And I think they did Hollywood. it well. I think it looks like miniature. Yeah. Oh, no. Everything's great. And it's also pointed because it's uh, against consumerism. So you have miniature, Aja you know, oversized Ajax and yes. it's brand name products, props. I wonder, you know, the internet didn't teach me that. Listen, there wasn't a lot of info on this. Like sometimes I'm going to like page nine of Google, finding little right. tidbits. That did not happen with this film. I wonder if they made money with product placement. Okay, I now, don't know. I, you know, that's a really good point. It's like when Coca Cola was in Natural Born Killers, he they they paid for that product placement, but it was used to juxtapose this violence to cut to a commercial, and mm -hmm. they were kind of the butt of the joke. I don't, I don't know if they 
sometimes products kind of go along with the joke and they're happy right. to be in it. And other times they don't, you know. Now, look, see the sneaker? Yeah. Pat must be dead. But we know as an audience he's not. Well, we didn't see it, but his little timer went off and he left. So his distraction, like we saw a guy at the door and now we're supposed to put two and two together that the other guy was distracting Concepcion while oh, kidnapped her. But I don't think the movie did a very good job of making no, it clear really. that she isn't dead. She was kidnapped. But then we go to the funeral. So this is like six weeks later. No, they're Jewish, and so they want to get the body in the ground now. Gotcha. Just kidding, just kidding. They're not Jewish. There's the flowers. They don't have anything but the sneaker, the doll sneaker, so they're going to put that in a matchbook. Look, uh, there's the nice Oh, okay, that explains why they're doing it so quickly. They're, they didn't have to go to the, they didn't have to talk to the cemetery. There you go. More product placement. Ohio. Right. Right. Anywhere. You're right. That is Kirk definitely Hoffman. a saleable product. That was Kirk not often has a product placement on it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> product placement brought to you by, maybe I should have really checked out the credits and seen if there was. Well, we'll check it out. We'll see if they listed. I don't know if that was a big thing back then because there was a certain point in the eighties where they did have to put in the credits, the product placement listing by law. Yeah, saying we got money for to put this in the movie. And then they had a thing where they had to put a disclaimer saying we did not get money from the tobacco company for because oh. there were movies where Philip Morris was paying to do product placement. You know, you watch Working Girl, she shows up with a carton of cigarettes. Right. Uh, you know, James Bond, Timothy Dalton was smoking a brand name. And then they had to say, you know, this was a Look, product. Look, there's your fade out you talked about. Yeah, right. That's what I'm talking about. Like the commercial goes here. So now I realize what it was. They were not, they were trying to show that she's been kidnapped. Here we see, by the way, this guy is not a, re it's a guy in a monkey suit. And Classic. he's done a bunch of uh, monkeys in movies. And that's a, like a big deal. Well, you know, John Landis, his first movie, Schlock, uh, wrote, uh, was him, was the director in a uh, gorilla suit. Oh, okay. He, okay, Rick Baker plays Sidney the Gorilla in the film. Wow, the Rick he Baker, a, who he was later he did the recipient of Os, uh, of an Oscar for best makeup for American Werewolf in London, yeah, which year. is what John Lendis went off to do. So how right. he was in both places? Like this guy was able. to, Oh, there's our our jerk. There's from, Mark. Yeah, from Friday's TV show on Tubi. Baker's career, especially his early fascination with gorillas and his work in three movies featuring, featuring them, is told in the TV documentary Gorillas Primal Contact. Huh. Makeup artist Rick Baker portrays Sidney the Gorilla himself in this movie, was released the same year that American Werewolf in London, the movie he won an Oscar for. Yeah, for I'm sure that Well, that was amazing special effects back then. I still is when you watch it. Well, you know, I didn't know it was a guy in a monkey suit until he was way too smart and people right. weren't scared of him. Well, so Trading Places had a guy in a monkey suit at the end. Yes, he did. Yes, it yeah, did. And I think, yeah, that was... Uppers for Coco. Coco wants uppers. 
That's right. One gorilla, two gorillas. Look at them. They're in love. You know, Coco the gorilla recognized me, Carl. I never told you that story in the second time I saw Coco the gorilla. He's like, no. you, he goes, you holding? I go, I'm <laughs> a little bit more than just that. He's like, I think, I think our friendship's a little skewed. He's like, holding? Yes, I'm holding. What does that have to do with anything, Coco? <laughs> Look at Mark doing his comedic acting here. Yeah, we love him. Right over the top, exaggerated, pratfall kind of stuff. He'll do it throughout the film. Now, we saw him also in National Lampoon's Class Reunion. We did? I didn't pay attention. Oh, we saw that movie years ago, but he was That one was one of the first movies I really did with you. Yeah. And I get, or it was the first year, 2016 or something. Yes. Because so much of that film I don't remember. We did actually two National Lampoon movies in one go, because they did a movie called Movies, Movies, or Ghosts in the Movies, uh, which is three segments of parodies and i think it was it was just not fun to watch so we just went to the other well to the other movie as well we did i don't remember that one maybe because we quit on it but we yeah. did like a series of like four or five in a row oh absolutely national Lampoon. around replicate. the same time yeah yeah replicate right I know it was funny. I was actually going through the archives and I saw a bunch of references because I get oh, I get the distance. Uh, Robo Doc was National Lampoon. Robo Doc, but there was um, there was more Carl. Honestly, yes. We saw the big one, which is Robert Altman directing OC and Stiggs. Yeah, and that was like literally one of the. I was a guest on your show at that time. I guess so. Yeah. Uh so Mark has come back. It's after hours, and he is drunk. And Lily Tomlin is trying to convince, like, get the keys, monkey, get the keys. This is all California. Um, yeah. The grocery store is in Yosemite Drive, Los Angeles. The Kramer okay. House is in North Hollywood. North the Hollywood. Institute, yeah, the Kleinman Institute is in Pasadena. This is all Southern California. This is where, like, again, as New Jersey kids, this is what America looks like to us. Like, this is what California looks like. And and the stage, you know, like Universal Studios in in uh, Universal City. Yeah, that's in North Hollywood. Yeah. Oh, how crazy! So now, like, he goes, they're trying to capture me for my blood. And he's like, no, they're not. They told me they weren't. You know, so Mark Blankfield will never be convinced until he actually sees a document that says top secret. And he goes, holy cow. Wait, turn it up. Because he does a, he does a. It will help all humanity. They told me so. Right. Hey, he so does a 180. He goes, look at this. <sighs> She took the keys back. Their plan was to find it. People are used like guinea pigs. Even Sydney. You've got to help me call my husband. See, that's when I started realizing he must have been a human. His eyes went, whoa. Like he was right. Well, he sighed too when he got caught. Turn it up now. Turn it up. Okay. This isn't the scene. I'm wrong. She's like, they're using me for such and such. And he goes, no, they're not. And she goes, read it there. And he goes, they're using you for such and such. Like he does oh, a great line. And then he becomes their ally for the rest of the film. Good. He seems like that type of character. 
Oh, this there you gorilla is just too human. He's just too human. No, I remember listening to uh, Gilbert Gottfried's podcast when they had Griffin Dunn, who was the star of American Werewolf in London. Uh-huh. And this, he did. I, I hate telling stories that I heard from podcasts, but he said that he ripped the first day. He ripped off his werewolf mask in front of Rick Baker, and Rick Baker went, <gasps> you know, like it was the worst <laughs> thing you could possibly do. <laughs> I just okay, so look at all the money they spent on huge file folder and huge guinea pig water. Uh, yeah, oh sure, and but, a huge wheel, hamster wheel, and. Oh, but well, then they reuse them for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, maybe? Maybe. Yeah. It's like a top secret file in the background. Oh, man. This movie's so boring. Even the gorilla sleep. It's just yeah. not. Now, look, she finds it. She finds Finally. it. Page four took her six hours. In pink. World shrink plan. They're planning to shrink the world. They are not. Whoa. They're planning to shrink the world. It's I can't good. wait for this double take. Yeah. Now that I popped it up, it won't be as. No, I can't wait. Sometimes I miss these jokes, so I, I'm aware of it now. With Pat Kramer as our guinea pig. She's literally in a guinea pig cage. Coco. Coco kill. I think that's the reason why they kicked me out when I taught Coco how to kill. Coco kill. When when my um oldest son was like one, Marcus would go to him and he'd say, he'd go, he'd go, no. Like he tried to teach Ryan to be disobedient. <laughs> Did it work? No. No. Nah, it would have worked if he was talking to like a two year old, but he wasn't right, of course. He was talking to a one year old. Oh, gotta get to the phone. Oh, remember the rotary lock? Yes. Now she's going to be in peril. She is trying to go to the phone and you know she look how they made chew marks on it. Yeah. They really I love it. spent the money. And you think she's gonna use the pencil to dial the rotary, but she doesn't. It this happens. Now look what Coco does. No, she's in peril and Coco will save her. Yay. Uh, thank you, Coco. Listen, I, I wanted my money back. I came to see an incredibly shrinking woman, not a guy in a monkey suit. Now we're going to have the double take. This is against regulation. You could get us all in a lot of trouble. We're already in a lot of trouble. Dr. North is planning to use me to shrink the world. I know you don't believe it, but look at my folder. Go ahead, look. Read page 10, the pink page. Page 10. Read it, you'll see. Shrink the world. Sydney too. Oh, Sydney, oh no. Oh, please. You can see his mouth moving. Yeah. That was it? That was great. That was it. And maybe I talked it up a little more. No, there. that was fantastic. When you're not expecting it, maybe it's a lot funnier. But he's really does his job in this film. Like you mentioned, the way he was reading it with his lips. He was really yeah, right. acting. <laughs> it's all it. But, you know, it, it's like we respect the director and the screenwriter. They're doing a savvy job. So the decision to cut it and not give it air is interesting. Right? He goes, they're doing it. And they cut right back. <laughs> to 
So he's talking to Charles. She's talking to Charles Grodin. She's got him. Oh, good. You have been disconnected from the party to whom you were speaking. And you better lay off the buttons, Buster. Love it. That's a little nod to her earlier character because everyone knows Lily Tomlin. So she did the uh, the multiple characters before Eddie Murphy. I guess it's Jerry Lewis would do that a lot. You know, playing, playing yeah, your sellers. It wasn't groundbreaking what she did. It was just kind of neat. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a tradition, comedy tradition. Uh, uh, Alex Guinness, uh, uh, people playing multiple characters without it's without forethought. World management. They're breaking in to break up this party. They know that a phone call went out. Turn it up. Oh, we kind of missed it. He comes in. and He goes, "You are in big trouble, little lady." Uh, yeah, I got you. Uh, oh, still. Okay, come on, Coco. Send yeah, I'm on Coco's side. She's running on the hamster wheel. Right, it's this existential joke. It's hapless. Oh, the Jackie King show. Oh, should I know that? I don't know that. No, it's a fake show. Okay, okay. My wife is alive. She phoned me. She's been kidnapped. I called the police and they didn't believe me. She's being held by a group that call themselves the Organization for World Management. I see. You don't believe me either. My wife is alive. My wife is alive. <laughs> he goes, he goes, oh well, you turned off the sound. It's very oh, funny because it's so Charles Grodin. She goes, he goes, My wife's alive, my wife is alive. I'm really sorry for yelling at you. <laughs> gotcha. I did cut it off. You see how that they've got her trapped under a funnel? Yeah. It's all it takes when you're this little. I, you know, The Incredible Shrinking Man, the, a lot of those movies get remade. I don't think I've seen, like, because the point is that she's going to eventually get so small she disappears, right? That is the point, yeah. and um, Maybe Ant-Man plays with that. You know, oh, no, don't get too small. You'll go into the quantum zone or whatnot. Well, yeah, and then at the end, that was the movie fart, right? If you right. go into the quantum zone, he could save the dead. And then in Endgame, it's the same sort of thing. He had to go into the quantum zone. And I, I haven't seen the third one because it hasn't played on my uh, streaming service yet. But Which third one? The Ant-Man. Oh, one. there's a new one? That's right. Yeah. And he, he goes to the quantum zone, and there's a guy who's using the quantum zone to take over the world's. Look how he hangs himself up so he just looks like a coat. Yeah. Well, he's scared of that monkey. No, it's for the camera. Waiting for the camera. Waiting for the camera. He's too smart for a monkey. Too yeah, smart. this is where you're in the audience like, wow, how did they train that monkey to know? Right. To make eye expressions. Jeez, look at that hair. That was the norm. He's from the Office of World Management or the organization. And he's disclaiming. That's like helmet hair right there. Yep. I didn't like that guy so much. I didn't even look up his credits. I yeah, just we don't like him. He's a bad guy. The understandably confused imagination of a burrito's husband. <laughs> right in the eye. <laughs> I hope that was the yep. only take, right? 
that kid would go on. He started his career on chips as a kid. You saw the chips poster. There was a chips poster in the wall in this movie. Yeah, that's what. And they did it on purpose because that was his. Oh, how about that? And he had a long career, you're saying? No, no, he didn't have a long career. He just was a child actor. I wonder what other channels they have in that in that evil lair. Yeah, nope. They only yeah, seem this. to have the one channel, whatever's relevant to the movie. Yeah, as as they do. Um, this movie marks the film debut of Justin Dana, who plays Kramer's son Jeff. Jeff has a poster in his bedroom of his television series debut, Chips, nineteen seventy-seven, three years earlier. That's really cute. Oh, no. That, of course, they're banana peels, right? Hang on. I got to stop laughing. All oh, my sides. Oh, I my mean, ribs. It's such an obvious joke. You even did it on fish burgers. Oh, right. I ate a banana while singing and then I slipped. I yeah, we were doing there. best love drug songs. And we, it was we, so funny how you did it. You ate a banana and then you dropped the peel, and the next thing you know, we went slip. What else am I supposed to do, right? Yeah. It was so. <laughs> now, of course, in the world of comedy, it's only funny if a gorilla watches you slip on a banana peel. If you have no right. no gorilla it's witnessing it, it's not as funny. So now we're going to get a big escape escape scene. Which I remember as a kid. Like this yes. gorilla scene was like what really made it for me as a child because it was just silly, you know. Now, I've seen this film a bunch of times. There's two actresses that I wanted to call out, but I can never see them. Well, who are they? Do you remember the actress Julie Brown? Not downtown Julie Brown from MTV. Yeah, sure. Who did Earth Girls Are Easy. Oh, no. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. I met her actually in in person. Oh, very, very nice actress person. Julie Brown has noted that Tomlin, after seeing Brown perform live, gave her her first film role, casting her in this film, oh. thus qualifying her to receive a SAG card. That's really cool. But I never, never see her. The other one is in the grocery. Was uh, a young Sally Kellerman. Wait, am I wrong? Oh, Sally really? Kirkland. Sally Kirkland. Who, yeah, the late Sally Kirkland, who we love in Meatballs 3, Summer Job. Yes. Yeah. And so, okay, a former member of Andy Warhol's The Factory and an active yep. member of the 60s avant-garde theater. She appeared in more than 250 films, 16-year yeah, career, the daughter of the fashion editor of Life Magazine and Vogue, Sally Kirkland. Yeah. That's, she, oh, that's the same name. The Haunted, Cold Feet, The Best, JFK, Bruce Almighty. Yeah. She had a serious career, and I could not find her face in any grocery scene. You see how he flipped him the bird? He's too smart. At this point, you might. Yeah, at this point. You know it's a a man. Did he know the camera was on? (laughs) I guess, yes. Another pal. So now we find out that their secret hiding place is really in their very own shopping mall where the grocery was. Of Consumer World. Now watch Mark earn his money, man. Watch him do his job. He will slip and fall and twist and turn. Yeah, stands up, spazzes. Yep, he's perfect. I'm sure they did eight takes too. 
it's hilarity. Oh, wacky Stone Cops. He's got it. Oh, Burger Power. Oh, you know, I think I know this area. Oh, really? Maybe. Being Let's a long time. Here. Burger Power. Burger Power. Is 4915 Eagle Rock Road in Los Angeles, California. If you want to. Eagle Rock Boulevard. Eagle Rock. If you go find it. Not our right. Eagle Rock. Not the Eagle Rock Reservation. Not West Orange, where you can yeah. see the 9-11 Memorial and you the Panorama took me to that Memorial. The you, Yeah. So it's it's a view in the park where you can see the skyline. So you see where the Twin Towers were. And then there's a big statue of a little girl in shock watching the towers being destroyed while holding a teddy bear. Yep. And it's just like, what? Okay, now, she realizes she's at her home mall and she's happy about that. And she's climbing to the speaker. Right. Which will call to everyone. To amplify her voice metaphor. And yes, this is a metaphor for the un, unsung, never listened to woman. Yes. 